0: So I have been um, charged with most of the responsibility today, which is really awesome, right? So all of the chaos and craziness, I guess you can blame on me because Pastor Aaron left me in charge. So that's um, his fault, probably won't do that again. Um, But I do know that that's kind of what comes with school, right? Chaos and craziness, that just is the nature of kids. (laughs) Let's be real. It's crazy. Things get a little chaotic when we're talking about starting new rhythms and routines. And my kids are certainly mad about this morning. You want to know why? Because I've said the S word about 17,000 times. And the S word is school, right? My kids from June, whatever, till September, they do not want to talk about school. I mean, this year, uh, last year, this exact same time, I think we rummaged through a backpack at the blessing of the backpack and found snacks from like three months prior. I mean, I'm not kidding. We're being authentic. Where are we? We're authentic here. Snacks, like rotten oranges. I'm not kidding. We throw the backpack and we do not talk about it until September. That's how my kids roll. There's like something triggering in them when I say the S word. They don't like it. So last week, actually, Pastor Aaron was praying for kids and students, and he said something like, God, would you help us to, or would you help our kids who are feeling anxious about school, whether that anxiety comes from nervousness or excitement, and I'm not kidding you, Trayton stopped dead in his tracks. He looked up at me and he goes, well, it's certainly not because I'm excited. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, so this is what I'm working with. This is what, this is. This is how it goes in my house, and I'm sure you can relate. (laughs) Like, you know, um, teachers, you can relate as well because you're also not feeling it, right? Back to work, and kids come too. You get it. You understand because those feelings also apply to your own life. And I can relate to you because if you didn't know, um, prior to working at church serving as our children's pastor, I was an elementary school teacher for about 10 years. So first day jitters were real for me too. I did not sleep the night before school. I was super nervous, always thinking about what have I left undone? What did I not do? What if I get a new student and I don't have enough notebooks? What if, my alarm doesn't go off, all of the things that you could possibly think could go wrong, I had icky feeling in my stomach. And I would love to say that that went away after the first day of school. But it didn't because part of teaching is a thing called an evaluation, right? So I'm sure you have this in other jobs as well. But for me, this caused so much anxiety, like the S word for my kids, right? I, as a new teacher, it was pretty formal. I would meet with my principal ahead of time. I would go over the lesson that I was going to teach, um, it was, I knew exactly when she was going to come in to watch me. It was pretty much in my control, so it was a little bit easier, actually. But as the years went on, things got a little less formal and a little more interruptive and more often, quite honestly, my principal could come into my room whenever, and she made it this very clear, that I will come in whenever I want to and stay for however long I want to, and you just keep teaching because I want to see an authentic evaluation, right? Authentic teaching. And so she would walk in, she would lay her iPad down and was super intimidating. And she'd just be taking notes. But she said, the one thing I look for when I'm walking into your classroom is tracks of your teaching. You don't need to stop. You don't need to say, oh, hey, we're working on this and this and this, because any sign of a good teacher would mean that you're leaving tracks. That means you could have poster boards or charts or Goal statements on your board, vocabulary words, student work, something that would let her know right away when she walked into your room, this is what we're working on. She doesn't have to interrupt and invite and ask a bunch of kids. So my charts were looking good, right? Like I have all those Sharpies, all the different colors. We'd be color coordinated. Things looked good. I'd get there in the morning. I would write those goal statements down. I don't know if that's what I actually taught, but the goal statements were there. Things were going to look good. The tracks of my teaching were not going to be questioned, right? That was my goal. And so I've been thinking a lot about this lately. I've been thinking a lot about school, contrary to what my kids would like me to be thinking about. Um, and I kept thinking about all the tracks that Jesus leads for us. There are tracks of his teaching all throughout the New Testament. He's a master teacher. There's no question about that. And he leaves so many tracks for us to follow. But the one thing that I keep coming back to is all the tracks that he himself and his closest friends and followers teach about in the realm of love. In fact, I almost talked myself out of this because it's like we talk so much about love. Like, they want to hear something else. <laughs> but yet, Jesus talks about it so much. So I don't think it's going to kill us to look at it again. Right? I mean, he teaches us so much. that I mean, two things. Either this is so close to Jesus' heart, love, so serious that he continues to teach it. Or we're horrible at it. Could be both, right? I would argue, probably both. We haven't quite arrived. We've missed the mark. So Jesus is like, let me do it a different way. <laughs> let me tell you a different story, right? Or it's so close to his heart because it's so important. So we see the tracks of his teaching all throughout it. We could talk about Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, right? Or the love chapter in 1 Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind. The parables of Jesus, like the prodigal son, or the lost sheep, right? Or how Jesus knelt and he washed his disciples' feet. Or the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate sign of love, when Jesus gave his very own life. These are his tracks of his teaching and they're everywhere. There's so many examples in the Bible. But this morning, I'd like to take a closer look together at a passage in 1 John chapter 4. So if you're going to take out your Bible, that's pretty close to the back of the Bible. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And I like this passage because I think it's pretty direct. <laughs> I don't like to have to analyze and um, like get out a bunch of books to try to figure out What the Bible is saying, those are hard passages for me. So I really like this passage because it's super direct. It's super straightforward. And I'd even argue that it's pretty simple. Except it's not easy. Does that make sense? It's simple, but it's not easy. One of my favorite authors is Bob Goff. Um, Some people say he's pretty simple in his writing. In fact, his whole purpose of writing, he says, is to make faith simple. But he does say it's not easy. That's kind of how I feel about this passage. So take a look at this with me. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It says Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves, And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Seems simple. I appreciate this. Because if we look at verse 4 and verse 11, it's pretty clear what we're being taught, right? It says, I mean, verse 7 Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Verse 11 says, Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. What are we being taught? What's it telling us? Or as Pastor Aaron would always say on his bulletin um, reflection questions, what jumps out to you? If you follow along, that's it. It says, Love others always. (laughs) It's pretty simple. That's what That's what John's telling us. We need to love others always. So why does it seem so simple, but it's so hard? I'm going to take a look at three reasons why I think this is so hard. And the first starts with love. There's some confusion about what love is, because we use the word love for so many things, right? I love Snickers. I love the color orange, I love football, I love volleyball, I love my husband, I love my kids, I love sleeping. These are all things that I love, but here's the major problem. When I love Snickers as much as I love my husband, is a problem. Or Snickers help me to love my husband better. Hmm. I don't know. Let me think through that one. It wasn't a good example, because if I love sleeping as much as I love my kids— Those go hand in hand. When mama's rested, she's a good mom. When mama's tired, watch out. Right? But love can mean so many different things, and it gets muddy to us sometimes. Because we use it so often. But the kind of love used here in this passage is the love that we see all over the New Testament. It's this word agape. Right? You've heard of this before, probably. Agape love means the kind of love that sacrifices itself for the blessing of another. So, if I were to say I love Snickers, would that hold true? Absolutely not. I don't love Snickers in any type of self-sacrificing way. I love it in all the selfish kind of way. I don't want anybody to be a part of my Snicker eating. I don't even want them to know that there's a candy cupboard above the fridge that I tap into when they go to bed because that's how selfish I am about my love for, it's not just Snickers, it's all candy. Let's be real. It's the most selfish kind of way when I say I love Snickers or I love sleep. There's nothing to be a blessing to other people. Even though love seems like a really simple word, Agape love, like the kind in this passage, is hard because we can't come up with this on our own. It's not possible. Because we love people who are easy to get along with. We love people when we get what we want. We love people that we like. Right? There's a difference. We're, we're mandated. We're commanded to love people. That don't mean we have to like them. But it's easy to love people that we like. We see this all the time. Teachers think about it. Your kids go out to recess, elementary kids especially. Two little best friends, they leave. They come back and they can't even look at each other. They won't sit by each other. They used to love each other. And now all of a sudden you investigate it a little bit further and it's like, how come you're not friends? Well, she went swing with me. So now we don't love each other anymore. Middle school and high school teachers, you see this too, right? First hour, people are madly in love talking about marriage. Second hour... Something bigger and better comes along and that first hour of romance is done. We don't even even like each other anymore, let alone love each other. But let's not just put it on the kids and the teenagers because we do this too, right? I love my spouse until I come home and see that nothing's been done around the house. Not my spouse, he's wonderful. Never, right? I love my boss until they give that promotion that I think I deserve to somebody else. I love this coach until my kid doesn't see the starting lineup anymore. And all of a sudden, we don't love them anymore. Because that's the kind of love we're capable of. This is the kind of love that is in our wiring. Because we need to know the kind of love that God's calling to, calling us to. And it's not on our own doing. We can't do it on our own. So, another part of what makes this simple teaching really hard is that it involves others. Love others. (laughs) Wow. Yeeks. That's a scary word. But hey, don't worry. Because John tells us, remember, he says, Dear friends. And then he ends it Dear friends. So you know who he's addressing this letter to? Church people. His friends, people who are like him. People who are easy to love. Ooh, I don't know. So this writing is intended for people who claim to know God. So that's who we're responsible to love, right? We're responsible to love people who love God and who know God. I don't know if that's easier or harder for you because Christians are hard for me to love sometimes. Am I right? Some of the hardest people to love, people that claim that they're Christians. So maybe that's not a benefit. But although that might be John's audience, his intended for um, this particular writing, remember when we interpret scripture, we have to look at scripture as a whole. And then there's a thing in Matthew chapter five that says, remember, you have heard it said Love your love your neighbor and hate your enemy, right? Love the people that think like you and act like you and look like you, like your church people, and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. We're not off the hook that easy. So some of us are going shoot. That stinks. There goes that idea. So not just others, we have to love all others. So let me ask you this. Is it harder for you to love people that you know or harder for you to love people that you don't know? Because sometimes loving people that you know is hard because you know them. Right? If you know people, it's hard to love them. Sometimes it's hard for us to love people we don't know because we think we know them. We make generalizations or assumptions or stereotypes about a group of people or a specific person based on what we think in our head without knowing them. So it's hard to love them because we've made them to be something that they might not be. Yesterday, I was driving around Holland with my oldest son. And other than seeing Zephy Packard and she threw Cheez Its through a window. Hudson. So that was fun. We caught a snack from her car that was right next to us. Um, That was fun because the light seemed like it was never turning green. Seriously. Zephy was off. She was turning right. She wasn't turning right because she's not able to drive. She was in the backseat chucking Cheese through our door. But I don't know if you knew that. So now you do. Her parents are here, so that's embarrassing for them. But that was fun. Right? (laughs) It was fun. Hudson was like, we were buying the time. That light was never turning green. But once Zeffie's car left, what we could see to the right was a man holding a sign at the, at the intersection. And it said, homeless, please help. And we saw a lady, I'm assuming a mom and her daughter, young daughter, pull up. And they were talking to this guy. They were in the parking lot. They were talking to this man. He was nodding. They were kind of laughing. You could tell they were having a conversation. And then she went to her car. She came back with this giant reusable bag, like you can get from like Sam's Club big one, full of stuff. All we saw was beef jerky and Gatorade. And my son is like, whoa, this dude just caught a major dub. That means he's winning, right? That's teenager. Dub means teenager for winning. And so my 13-year-old's like, dude, just hit the jackpot. What a dub. And I'm like crying because, wow, you know what I was hoping for? Please turn green, please turn green, please turn green so I don't have to look, so I don't have to be even presented with the option of loving. Or when my kids actually want me to do something and I say, And I think in my head, get a job. Everybody needs a job. Everybody's hiring, just go get a job. And what I saw here, on the corner of that street, because the light never turned green, I had the opportunity to see something so beautiful that made me check myself. And then I remembered this line, it says, the kind of love we're commanded to is not dependent upon the quality of its object. it's us, right? Jesus loved us. And we sure weren't any kind of quality object other than he said, you are a child of the most high God. And so I love you. The kind of love we're commanded to is not dependent upon the quality of its object. We can't just love what's easy or comfortable for us. In that book that Bob Goff writes, he says this, There are plenty of people I don't understand. I suppose some are trolls and some aren't. God doesn't see people the way I do. The ones I see as problems, God sees as sons and daughters made in his image the ones i see as difficult he sees as delightfully different the fact is what views what skews my view of people who are sometimes hard to be around is that god is working on different things in their lives than he's working on in mine so who's hard for you to love i'm serious I want you to think about that because in a second I want you to write down three people or groups of people that are hard for you to love. Take your phone out. Find a spot next to your Sudoku and your bulletin. Scratch it down on a piece of paper. Who's hard for you to love? Whisper it to the person next to you. There's got to be a person or a group of people and it might be the person next to you so then don't tell them because that'd be awkward because most of you sitting next to people that you rode here with. So then that makes for an awkward car ride home, or a long walk home. Don't do that. But who are those people? Are they people on the side holding signs that say homeless need help? Are they Democrats? Are they Republicans? Are they people for student loan forgiveness? Or are they for people against student loan forgiveness? Is it every other driver on the road that you have a hard time loving because you're the only person that knows how to drive? Is it your in-laws? Is it your spouse? Is it your own kid or your boss? People with same-sex attraction? The popular kid at your school? Your principal? The list could go on and on, right? You can stop at three. You're going to feel really bad if you keep going. But people are hard to love but we're commanded to love others. So when people ask, "Hey, what's a Christian like?" or when people know God, what are they like? Man, I hope the answer is I don't know, just love always. They just love people all the time. I don't really know what they believe or what they stand for exactly. I don't I don't know where they stand on certain issues because you know what? I know that they stand next to me. I don't care what the issue is because issues are people. So if we're standing on issues, I want you to think about that. Those are people. We want to be described as they just love people. And it sounds so simple. Loving others sounds simple, but it's really hard. Especially when we tack on this third word. Always. Love others always. Again, this week I was riding in a car. You'll see a theme. Most of my greatest conversations, when I call them conversations, I mean interrogations. Because they're with my children. They're trapped in the car. I find so much freedom in this and they find bondage, right? They literally can't do anything and so I love it. So one-on-one, once again, I was with Bryden, who's very analytical, skeptical, kind of critical, but very thoughtful. I said, half-joking, are you going to love your mom when you're a teenager? And he didn't answer. And so I said, hey, do you think you're gonna still love your mom when you're a teenager? And he didn't say anything. And I said, How come you're not responding immediately to this easiest question ever? Are you gonna love your mom when you're a teenager? He said, How am I supposed to know what I'm gonna be like when I'm a teenager? <laughs> like, excuse me, the answer is the same. You're gonna always love your mom, period. That's the answer. Right? It's not hard. But he took it seriously, took love seriously, right? He's not going to fling it around, I guess, even his mom. like, you cannot predict three years down the road that you're going to love me? Wow. But we might also be able to change always to first. Love others first. Because it doesn't really matter which way we look at it, God did this. He loved us first and he loved us always. Verse 10 says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he sent us, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus didn't wait for us to come to him to show his love. He didn't wait for us to be worthy of his love. Remembers? Remember what it says in Romans 5, 8. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were a hot mess. And we probably still are a little bit, right? But he loved us anyway. And he still loves us. He loved us first and he loves us always. Simply put, we are called to love others always. Always. But if we want to make it more difficult, because it seems like that's usually what we try to do is, right? Love all others first and always. We love before the object of our love becomes worthy. Because God does that for us. And why? Why do we have to love others always? We already said it's, might be simple, but that we know it's going to be hard, so why do we have to do hard things? Right? I hate that. Like, my kids are always like, it's hard. I'm like, you can do hard things. And then I'm like, eh, this one's kind of hard, though. Maybe I want to dip out of this. This is hard. So why do we have to do it? That's because it says right here in First John that when we love others, we show that we know God. God never meant for us to just be takers of love. We have to stop hoarding love as if it's going away because we know that the very nature of God is love. That's who He is. It's not going away. We don't have to store it up and save it for ourselves because we have an ample supply. It's unending because He says He's going to love us always. So we don't need to hoard it for ourselves. There's not a shortage, there's no inflation. We don't have to worry about it. God wants us to use us not as vessels to hold and hoard love, but as vehicles to share and spread love. We are not vessels to hold love. We are vehicles to spread love. Because when we do this, when we love, we show that we know God. God wants to use us in that way, and we show that we know him when we love him. I also notice that we cannot share what we don't have. If I ask you for $500 and you don't have $500, you can't give it to me, right? It's pretty logical. It's pretty simple. If you don't have it, you can't give it. So I recognize that there are some people here today that do not know the love of God. You can't give it away if you don't have it, right? So what I hope that you have heard, if nothing else, is that God loves you first and always. I hope that that spurs something in you that someday, maybe this is the day, that you will reciprocate that love and you'll say, man, this is good. I know that I'm loved and i got to do something with it. I don't know exactly what the steps are. You know what? God works all that out. But first, we do need to receive his love and know his love. So I hope that you've heard that. But many of us in here claim to know God. We claim to be a follower of Jesus. And so I have a question. How are you doing at loving others Always. I shared earlier about how I was a school teacher, and I got really nervous when it came time for that teacher evaluation, right? When I was being observed, I was confident that those tracks of teaching were looking good, right? I'd stay after, I'd make those graphs, I'd make those charts, everything would be color-coordinated, my penmanship was on lock, right? It was good. The tracks of my teaching were good, and I was confident that I was teaching what I needed to teach. I mean, you could check it all off. I knew I was teaching what I needed to teach. But what I came to find out was that the most important part of that evaluation was not how great of a teacher I was. It was about the fact that my kids learned what they were supposed to learn. So when my principal would walk in, I might have been focusing more on the teaching, but what she was focused on was what she would call evidence of learning. She would check for understanding by pulling up to a seven- or eight-year-old. Yep, my future as a teacher was held in the sweet little hands of seven- and eight-year-olds. And based on how they answered this question, hey, what did you learn? How are you applying what you learned? How will I know that you learned it? And I'm just like, oh, please pick that little sweet one right there. Please come to that one because she knows it all. She knew it before I actually taught it to her. Oh, don't go over there, don't go over there. No, 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 he wasn't even paying attention. Don't ask that one. He hasn't been to school for 72 days. He had had lice and COVID. Don't go over there. And inevitably, that's the one that they'd go to, you know? My, my status as a teacher, my reputation as a teacher was dependent upon the learner. Did they learn what I actually taught? Jesus is a master teacher. We don't have to we don't have to look very far to find that. There's not a lot of people that will argue that. Even if they don't believe in Christianity, they don't believe they're not followers of Jesus. They do believe that he was a good teacher. But do we learn what he taught? Do we learn what was taught? Because his reputation's on the line. He's entrusting us as vehicles to share his love. And he says, here's how people are going to know that you're mine. The way that you love them. I've left it all over. There's tracks of my teaching all over the book. I've told millions of stories, tons of sermons. I've dummied it down for you guys. Have you gotten it? We need to love other people always. Does the way that we love, does the way that we live show evidence of that learning? Does it show that we know God by the way that we love difficult people, by the way that we love people that are unlovable or in our eyes unworthy of love? Are we showing evidence of our learning? So I'm going to challenge you with this. Let's live in a way that someone who doesn't know God comes to know him because they know you. Let's pray. God, it is a pleasure to be gathered today. We take this as a privilege to be gathered in a group of people who are just trying to figure out this journey together. But mostly, God, we are thankful for the way in which you have left tracks for us, that you continue to teach and shape and provide wisdom and direction for us. We don't get it right all the time, but God, would you help us to get this one thing right? Would you help us to love others always? Would you help us to lay aside the issues of our hearts? And would you help us to take up your heart? And through us, would you make your perfect love complete by the way that we love other people? God, this is urgent. We see the need. Our community needs to know you. Our families need to know you. We need to know you. And God, we know that we're not gonna get it perfect all the time, but we do ask that you continue to sharpen us and soften us. That we can stay rooted to our convictions and not compromise what we believe and yet still love. Would you show us how to do that? Would you help us with the words that we say and the way that we go about our life Would you help everything to point back to you so that people who don't know you might come to know you because they know us. God, you are good and we love you. We ask this all in your son's name. Amen.